Would you open your Bibles tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 30? We'll look at verses 9 through 31. Now, last week, if you remember, and we're here, we drew three conclusions from this, basically a historical narrative of David's prayerless decision to move to the land of the Philistines in order to uh, keep Saul from pursuing him any longer and thwart his efforts to capture and therefore kill him. Now, David's plan, as we mentioned, was half right, or at least half of it happened, and that was Saul ceased to pursue him. However, David's choice of hiding place from Saul is where things went all wrong. If you remember, he had been lying to Achish, the king of Gath, during his 16-month stay in Philistine territory. And Achish was so enamored with the idea that the champion of Israel had defected to him, the killer of Goliath had defected to him, that it had clouded his thinking. And the other four Philistine kings or princes brought him back to center when they saw David marching in the military parade with the troops of Achish. Now, David, as we mentioned, had reaped what he had sown in that. He purposed in his heart that it was safer in Philistine territory than to continue under the protection and provision of God, even though God had supernaturally protected him multiple times from the efforts of Saul to trap and kill him. Now, the lessons we learned were these. God can use our past to better us. Satan wants to use it to destroy or discourage us. I like that t-shirt that floated around for a while. The next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. And uh, we have a bright future ahead of us, amen? Now we also were reminded that we don't need to act like the world to win them to God. And our final and concluding point, which will kind of help us on our way tonight, was no matter how far we have fallen from God, God is willing and able to restore. David messed up, David messed up bad, David messed up bad multiple times. Now, we also found last week that when Achish tried to defend David's presence with the Philistine troops, the other four princes reminded Achish what they had sung about David in the past, that Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands after he had defeated Goliath. Now, they rightly determined that during battle, David would indeed turn on them and begin to fight for Israel. That was David's plan all along, I believe. Yet they wrongly concluded that he would fight against them in order to gain favor with Saul. David had no such aspirations. He was simply going to defend the nation of his own people. Now, if you remember in 29.6, we're told that Achish called David and said to him, Surely, as the Lord lives, you have been upright and you're going out and you're coming in with me in the army is good in my sight. For to this day, I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the Lord's do not favor you. The other Philistine princes, remember Joshua 13, said there were five Philistine princes and of course, Achish being one. In 1 Samuel 29, 9, Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now, we noted last time that when Achish sent David back to Ziklag, 
he incorporated some very Hebrew verbiage and phrases when he was talking to David. He used the word Yahweh as he used the Hebraic phrase, as the Lord lives in 1 Samuel 29, 6. And then he employed the word Elohim. He wasn't using just a general word for God, but he was specifically stating the God of Israel when he referred to David being like an angel of Elohim in verse 9. Now, whether this implies that David had had a spiritual, positive spiritual influence on Achish or not, the end result was the same. Achish sided with his own people and he sided against David. Therefore, David's efforts to influence the enemy by being with them and even viewed as being like them didn't work for him any more than the church acting like the world is going to lead people to God today. Now, our last point was a word of reminder to us all, and it's a segue into our time and text tonight. And no matter how we have fallen, God is willing and able to restore. That's still true tonight. Amen? Now, David sent for Ahinoam, the priest, and the ephod. He sought the Lord. And then we're told that the Lord answered. And our final verse from last week and the first three words of our text this week will introduce our title tonight. And they were these in 1 Samuel 38 and 9a. We're told David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, the Lord answered him, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David what? David went. The Lord said pursue and David went. Now, I don't know why we seem to be on a roll with cliches and adages and colloquialisms as our titles, but we're going to add another one tonight as we've had in the past. And you can finish the title before I even say it. And our title is simply The Sooner the... The sooner the better is our title tonight, and we'll incorporate it into all three of our observations from this text. Now, when the Lord says pursue and overtake, the sooner we do so, the quicker we get to things getting better. I think we'd all recognize that in our own lives, and we'll break it down a little further as we go. And tonight, really, what we're going to see is the old David. The David who had such great God confidence that in the Valley of Elah, when we met him in 1 Samuel 17, he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dares to defy the armies of the living God? Now, our verses tonight have led many commentators to look at them through the lens of David being a type of Christ or a type of Jesus or a typology in this passage. And we're going to find some significant evidence that that is an accurate estimation. Now, he returned, in essence, to who God intended him to be all along. And now when the Lord said, pursue and overtake, his, in answer to his prayer, David simply went. And he did what the Lord said. And he saw what the Lord promised or proclaimed. Now, we're going to find three things tonight from our text that if they have ceased in our own lives or have never begun in our walk, the sooner we get to or back to them, the better it's going to be, not just for us, but for those around us, as we'll see in our text. So with that said, would you stand and read with me, please? 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 9 through 14 will be our first of three sections. 1 Samuel 30, let's pick it up in verse 9. 
So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where they stayed, uh, those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the book Besor. Now they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread and he ate, and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and the southern area of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. You may be seated. And we're going to reserve our comments about the 200 weary warriors in our last section where they'll be reintroduced to us. And we're going to focus on this exchange between David and this Egyptian young man. Now, the incident with the young Egyptian is interesting as it does present to us some rather significant comparatives between David and Jesus. First of all, remember that David was not being a type of Jesus when he was in Philistine territory. He was lying, he was marauding and murdering, and this is not who our Lord is at all. And he was not representing him in the time where he purposed in his heart to seek after his own method of protection. Now, the Egyptian young man is a type or representation of the unsaved world. There's multiple things to consider because Egypt, first of all, is often offered as a typology of the world in various scriptures and uh, commentators' perceptions. Now, he was found in the field, and a field is representative of the world, and we can see this in the parables of the sower, the parables of the wheat, and the parables of uh, wheat and tares, and the parable of the mustard seed in Matthew 13. All three are illustrations, agrarian illustrations, if you will, that incorporate a field to represent the lost and dying world. He was also the slave of an Amalekite. And Amalek is presented to us in Exodus 17, as well as the book of Judges, as a typology of a flesh-driven people who are uh, directed by Satan, and thus they are the unsaved. They are of the world, a slave of Amalek, serving the flesh under Satan's dominion as a type of who the Amaleks represent. Now, also the physical condition of this young man represents the spiritual condition of the unsaved world. He is starving, sick, and thirsty. And David, in showing him mercy, thus begins to present himself as the typology of Christ. I mentioned many commentators see the bread and the water given to him, obviously representative of the body of Christ, as he has presented himself as living water and the bread of life. And this can obviously represent the gospel. And next we see the young Egyptian is assured of his safety in our next section, that is. And the slave of the Amalekite becomes the servant of the coming king from the tribe of Judah. And this is another type of David. There was one who would come after him who was a descendant of David, who is the king of kings and the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now the company of the master to whom he 
formerly belonged is eating, drinking, and dancing, as we'll see in our next section. In other words, if we look at the Amalekites here, they are unconcerned about this coming conquering king from the tribe of Judah, and they are unaware of what is about to come upon them like a thief in the night and sudden destruction is coming upon them. So once again, we see so many rich pictures of Jesus represented here in the future as well. And we'll also see in a moment that David recovered all that uh, they had lost, even as the Lord will lose none that the Father has given him. So obviously, the arguments for a typology of Christ are strong in the text and the lessons are clear. Now, we also see the brutality of the Amalekites as this young man is left alone because he fell sick to die. And uh, as we mentioned on Sunday, even a thousand years or so in the future, slaves weren't even named. They were simply numbered as we met Secundus uh, in our text on Sunday morning. And this man is left behind because he didn't matter to his master. And he was left to die without food or water, even though the Amalekites had just plundered Philistine and Israeli cities. And it wasn't that their supplies were short. It's just that this young man didn't matter the same way that Satan doesn't care about anyone except himself. Now, David's actions also remind us of that of a famous parable that Jesus taught with a very clear directive at the end. Now, Luke 10, 30 to 37 reminds us that Jesus said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead, just like this young man. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an end, took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii or two day's pay, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And they said, or he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, what? Go and do likewise. Now again, the parable is concluded with a directive by Jesus to go and do likewise, not just to the one he was conversing with, but to all who would read, 